Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Go. And go. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. 2018. Yes, almost 2019. 31st week of ordinary time. Do you guys do this long ordinary time thing? Uh, we are in the 25th week of Pentecost, after Pentecost. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we do... We do, we do Sundays after Pentecost. Rather than ordinal time or ordinary time, we call it Sundays after Pentecost. Yeah. But there, there, there's different breaks. So, like, you guys start the new year on Advent. We start on September right. 1st. Oh. So we start the year. Is there a feast? Then, What's the September 1st? Um, so the, it, it's the old imperial new year. Ah. So the, uh, I forget which emperor, but his birthday was in September, so he just made that. The beginning it's just of the a, a Byzantine thing. It is a Byzantine thing, and then, well, it cool. was the entire Roman Empire for a while. It was, it was a Roman Empire, but it was the Byzantine. Yeah. So, so he made that his. Um, he made that the the church year September first. But now, now it kind it actually works well for us because it's around the Jewish New Year, as you would know, and then but it's also um, the the New Year surrounds the feast of our of the Mother of God of Our Lady. Yeah. So so in September is her birth. In August is her death. So the entire liturgical year is between the birth of the Mother of God and the death of the Mother of God. Oh, yeah. okay. That's cool. Yeah. I like that setup. So, that, I mean, that, that's the spiritual reality, but it, it, it was initially because of an emperor's birthday. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of stuff is like that. We'll kind of trace it back. So, this is Father Mike, if Father you Michael. haven't noticed, and then Father Michael, Froyo, as I say. <laughs> do you do Froyo? There's a lot of Froyo, Froyo. places around here. Oh, yeah. I did. I for the first time, I think in no, no, for the first time in probably five years, I was in my car alone, and I drove to a froyo place and got frozen yogurt alone. There's no shame in that. Why are you grinning? Alone <laughs> <laughs> and ate my froyo. You, you, it does feel a little pathetic, but it so was. what do you do? What do you put in there? Because it's, uh, it's all about options, right? Oh, it is. But I so well actually, what happened to me was I was leaving the companion's house after Lord's Day, I think, or something. Not Lord's Day. Maybe oh no! After our we had we had fraternal group and we had at the companion's house and I was I was trying to find Wendy's because I was craving a frosty mm. and I I was on the wrong street and I ended up seeing a Froyo place instead of Wendy's that place where we've gone as companions before I forget what it's called anyway this place near near like Sixth and and uh, Downing right right near our companion's house anyway so I went there and uh, I I have this thing that I love where you inst- but you put. I think I feel like I've talked about this before. Maybe the Goble, Goebbels. Oh yeah, I, I might have missed that. But, but I put like um, I put a layer of candy or Oreos on the bottom before I even put the ice cream. Sour Patch Kids, sweet tarts, dude. See, I'm I'm Love all it. about I'm all about the chocolate. I'm oh, not yeah. about the fruity stuff. Like I'll put I'll put chocolate. So you're doing like everything. Heath Bar, oh Heath Bar, Butterfinger Bar, Butterfinger. Oreos, oh, yeah. chocolate chips. But then I'll do like those weird like salmon egg things. <laughs> I don't know what that they're is, just, man. It's just, it's just what do they, they call, like, they call they, that? Caviar like, pop in your mouth. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But it's, I just like the texture. And it's a chocolate. No, it's like it's like fruity, gummy. Yeah, it's like it's like a gusher. Gummy. Oh yeah, I mean it's Remember like that. It, it like explodes. Ooh, I don't yeah. even know what it is, but it, anyway, it's this thing I put there just for the texture, and then I'll put like maybe like fresh fruit, like kiwi or pineapple. Mm-hmm. I put it all together, and then this is like somehow. an art for you. You got it all planned out I, with well, layers and stuff. It's like sad parfait. That I'm four or... years old and have thought through this so much, but like as, as <laughs> no, I was walking through on, the man. line, that's exactly what it was. I was like, "How am I going to put this?" Because I was craving a frosty. He's like, "Well, I'll just go in and get chocolate." And then I was like, "How can you pass by all these goodies no, and, and get all the chocolate?" So I just sat there. Well, there's okay. So there's a line in Philemon. Philemon. Okay. 
<laughs> I love Layman? how you're bringing scripture into this. For uh, yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure it out. Maybe okay. you got some advice for it. Um, Paul tells this guy, he's writing a letter to you. He says, you refresh the bowels of the holy ones. And then he says, at the end of the letter, refresh my bowels in Christ. Isn't that a strange thing how to do, say? How do we translate that in the NAB or the RSV? I don't think it's that. <laughs> Sometimes, well, okay, so the, the innards, like inner organs, okay. the bowels, I yeah, suppose, right. you know, like your, your stomach and your intestines, everything, is, was considered in the Semitic culture the heart uh, or the, the center of emotions. Oh, Okay. okay, so when Jesus, um, when he feels pity for the people, yeah. it uses a verb that refers to this, oh. like innards, okay. you know? Um, when, he gets, when somebody gets angry in the New Testament, it's the same word. Really? If there's, like, c- compassion can be referred to. So it's this splankna. If you, I don't know if you've heard that one. Splankna. No. Okay, so it's... It's the, the it's like the center of emotions for people. It's kind of a gut sounding word, though. Yeah, yeah. Your guts, splankner. So he says, "Refresh my whatever sense yeah. of emotions or oh, something. Settle my soul." Yeah. So it's usually translated, um, "Give peace to my heart." Okay. Or refresh uh, my heart because, <laughs> yeah, the equivalent for Nowadays, us is heart, yeah. the heart is the center of the emotions or whatever. Right, and right. actually, it's just, I hate to break this to you all, but it's just a big muscle that pumps blood around. <laughs> <laughs> but we do use it to refer. So we, anyway. We make with when, our hands. When I thought of heart. your, you know, restlessness and going to Froyo. Yeah. It's like refresh my bowels. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You know, just give me that treat. Give me some peace. That's honestly probably why they started using the bowels because it, you know, our emotions are very driven. We get hangry, right? I mean, that's it's, it. It's it's about like what we eat, when we eat it, and that can affect our emotions immensely. We, we yeah, if you're thirsty. overeat if we're anxious, you know. Yeah, we well, like to drink our alcohol if we're very closely related. Okay. emotions and yeah. whatever food. Yeah. So and refresh my refresh my splunkna in Christ. It's <laughs> so kind of a nice request, but a little bizarre, I think. You know. <laughs> All right. So what have I? I've actually found a lot of rest in some food recently. Is that going on? There? I really hope that's not showing up on the record. So we're getting. Oh, <laughs> somebody! One of the companions, one of the four of us. It's either Andrea, John. I'm not texting or right Goble. now. No, they're they're uploading photos to our Catholic stuff photo, and it shows up with the date, like our online cloud photo thing. So for uh, Instagram posts, and it just yeah. So I it, it's showing up on there like somebody's putting in photos. So it's probably well. Andrea. Can you silence the ding? I, well, I, I can uh, try. Wait, it might silence the whole thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it silenced everything, uh, even us. Um, let me All just right, unplug folks. my phone. You might that, get the ding. That might help. Oh, Nathan Goble. Father Nathan's uploading things right now. He's the problem. There he, he uploaded is. 31 new photos. Where did he find 31 photos? Anyway, so for well, listeners... Th- you're going to have a lot of cool new you're photos. You're about to have a bunch of cool new photos of Father Nathan Goble on Instagram. <laughs> That's and he's a, he, he doesn't always post his own pictures. No, I mean like no, pictures yeah. of him. So no, they might just be cool pictures. That's true. He's, kind he's of, pretty good. There's some guys who are like... Really handy with the camera. Yeah. Father great. Matt Book, our friend, he does yep. like these things with tripods and yep. sets stuff up, and he's very artsy. You know what's funny is the uh, uh, the, 
the post from today. So when, when one of the podcasts came out today, it was a, actually it was Father Nathan's rule number one. But um, we posted a picture of Father Nathan taking a selfie with Father Matt Book behind him taking a photo. And Father Nathan was like, just like taking a photo of a man taking a photo, but it was kind of a selfie of him. Was so the it's, guy? It's exactly. Was what the guy behind saying. him taking a picture of him? Yes. No. He's Father Matt. It's Father Matt Book taking a picture of like a. They're in Rome somewhere, and they're oh, ta- he's is, like taking a picture of a tower. Very meta. Yeah. So right now, <laughs> nope. Father Nathan is a bunch of pictures of him. All right. And a couple of you. <laughs> no. Good luck. You'll see this soon. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like pictures. I always do something goofy, and it turns out like I'm trying to have fun with it because yeah. I don't like pictures and then they just turn out looking really weird. You're wearing I'm a bear weird. in that one. Uh, yeah. So there's a yeah. picture of Father Mike Well, that was a, a weird thing to do. Okay. <laughs> That's, That's not, true. Yeah, I had a bear skin on. <laughs> a bear skin, including the head. Wearing, yeah, wearing the bear skin. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. If you find a bear skin on sale, you got to put it on. Oh, yeah. That was out near Canada. All right, so <laughs> I, I have been eating... Uh, chicken pot pie. That's my thing, man. I come back here, it's getting cool in the autumn. Yeah, right. And I found Costco has these Marie Callender's chicken uh, pot pie. You pop okay. it in the microwave, okay. comes out crispy, <laughs> delicious. It's nice. You know, that gravy. Yep. Oh, man, it's hearty. Okay. That's refreshing my bowels. Good fall, right now. fall, fall weather. Oh, my, my goodness. It tastes so good and it's kind of salty. <laughs> You know, people are going to mail us chicken pot pies right now. <laughs> I don't know. No, they, they, no they, folks, they, look, they can't you don't have to do it. I got plenty, but, okay. <laughs> plenty of chicken pot pies, but I do love that. And they can send recommendations for what's the best chicken pot pie because yeah. kind of, I'm kind of oh, into it go. now. There we go. It's one of those things you can't really make right. yourself. It yeah. just takes too much just time and work time. and everything. But anyway, um, what else? What else we got? We're going to – this is kind of a last – um, effort yeah. here in this beautiful studio that is your rectory. <laughs> this might finally <laughs> your actually, living room. actually be the last time you record in my living room at, at my Holy Protection Rectory because I moved, I moved in with Father Goble and Father Matt Hartley last night and, uh, and you, live, you live close to here with Father Larkin so we are, you and I are recording now but we'll probably make a real studio at at Schloss Goble at the Wayne Manor. Ooh yeah. Because uh I already Wait, what does that mean? You're going to put up like soundproofing well, yeah, on the right, walls and right. glass doors or something? We we did decide, I think I can share this now. We did decide that we are going to probably give away t-shirts. We're going to give away swag at Seek. Oh yeah. So if you're coming to Seek 2019, we don't know how we're going to Can do I it have yet. one? Print one for me too. You'll be there. You can just steal one. You're going, right? Yeah, I'm going. Okay, yeah, we're all going. All four of us. For some reason, I just end up on the losing okay. <laughs> end of these kind of deals. <laughs> so we don't know quite how we're doing it yet. We're going to seek, and we're gonna we're gonna. But we're spending a lot of money for these t-shirts that we're going to give away. And I mean, people, we're now a nonprofit, so people have been very generous with us. Yeah. But we got to look then at the budget to see what we can still afford as far as putting up a real studio. Oh, I see what you're okay. That's how those. So yeah, so that, yeah. So we're spending money on that, but we. We're hopefully spending money, but the room that I'm staying in right now, I'm staying in his basement, in the basement room. Mm-hmm. I will probably turn part of that into the studio. So if I end up, if I end up living there personally, uh, personally, if I live there uh, permanently, yeah, we'll probably just make part of my room the studio. I see. Okay. Or he has that room that we'd have. You to just hit. kind of partition off a corner. Oh yeah, exactly. I'm not worried. Now he told me we we went duck hunting the other day. Okay. Me oh, and nice. Father Goble. And. Uh, 
Yeah, it was fun. I didn't get a shot off, though, because those ducks come in fast. No. And I get nervous, <laughs> like, is that a duck or is that a sweet swan? And I'm going to get in trouble. Or, you know, <laughs> even just, like, getting ready because I'm chatting or I'm not paying oh. attention. It's hard. But it was really fun. Anyway, he said he could and was thinking about setting up a rifle range in the basement. Oh. But if it's your room... It's I mean, is there going to be one enough. lane with rifles and <laughs> targets and stuff? As long as I'm taking that sounded really like that. weird to me yeah. for like an indoor yeah. thing. Well, it's it's. Can you guys please not get hurt with this? Oh, I know. Well, no, crazy he has plan. like he has like a big storage area down there, and you could put it in there. I just discovered it this morning. There's like there's two what if secret you're doors to sleep in that room, and he's shooting guns. Uh, well, yeah, this I'm, is just. A, I'm guessing he's more courteous plan. than that, but yeah. But you know what I found out? Uh, so father Father Joel Barstat now. Who used to be yeah, just Joel Barstat, and now he's Father Joel Barstat. He uh, he read one of the old Eastern canons, and many priests still follow it to this day. But Eastern Christian, including Eastern Catholic priests, according to the old canons, cannot shed blood, even animal blood. Yeah. So duck hunting would be. What about allowed. fishing? That's that was my question. I did I didn't know about that because I said I. But he, I mean, like he didn't. So when he he did like they they slaughtered a bunch of his like son and son in laws chick or son and daughter in laws doesn't chickens. he raise hogs? No, one one of his family does raise chickens though, and he uh, okay. they literally this, did the slaughter like a week before he got ordained, so he could participate. Now this is not this is traditional among Eastern clergy, okay. but it's not like a law. But he's he's taking it seriously, and he's kind of now. Yeah. I don't really kill anything other than mosquitoes, but well, that's you know, interesting. But it, it was like, yeah, you know, no, the old no priests blood. back in Israel, they were all bloody all the time. You know, yeah. they're working in the temple, right? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Temple sacrifice is yeah. like a butcher shop. Yeah. But so now, maybe now that's know. maybe part of your tradition is is like changing the new yeah. covenant. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Know. Well, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this, but, you know, so you can't touch a dead body or human blood in the Old Testament, correct? But you are obviously, you know, slaughtering all kinds of animals. Yeah. So that, that's, that's one of the things behind the Good Samaritan, right? The priest and the Levite yeah. didn't want to touch the nearly dead body because then that might have defiled them from their temple worship. Well, I think, yeah, in the temple, these things are pure. You know, they're checked for oh, purity. Oh. They're, you know, there's only a certain kind of thing that can come in the temple. I see. And then, yeah, you have, there is death there. Okay. Um, but it's always yeah. related to sacrifice. Right. You know, they wouldn't have any other, you know, you don't have carcass sitting around over yeah. there or something. So it's not as like it's unclean as finding a human dead body on the side of the road that was probably a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. Or somebody, you know, human death, these yeah. things. So... I was um, looking at headlines the other day or something. I saw it like a month ago. Mm. A reminder that there are still these festivals in, I think it's Hindu culture or Buddhist. It's, it's in Nepal mm. and the north of India where they have these huge sacrifice festivals and they sacrifice tens of thousands of animals. Oh, wow. And it's like kind of wild and bloody and all this stuff is going on. And uh, the animal rights people hate it, sure. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. And it is kind of, I don't know, it's intriguing to me, but I'm not sure what I think about, you know, like. Yeah. It, oh. Obviously, I don't think we have to take the life of animals to please the gods. Yeah. But at the same time, as barbaric as that sounds, there, 
I've been to a meatpacking plant here in the States. I've toured it, and I know that we slaughter a whole lot oh, more yeah. <laughs> animals yeah. to eat, you know? And this is like having a big barbecue together yeah. for a religious festival. So yeah. I, I guess, I don't know, it's, in, it's, it's intriguing, but it's like it kind of surprised me that that stuff still exists in yeah. our world. Yeah. Well, there, there is something almost honorable if, I mean, if, if, I don't know why they're doing it, what the spirituality is, but there's something almost honorable because, you know, having the slaughtering of a bunch of animals behind a wall, it like it's sterilized, just kind of like birth and death are for us, right? Birth and death happen in hospitals. You know, it's 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 so far away from like the common understanding so that we can go and we we buy food at the supermarket, you don't see anything, and there's almost like the Native Americans would probably say, you know, there's a dishonor to yeah. not not seeing to receiving something without seeing the negative parts of it you know um or without with, honoring its life or yeah. something i mean like with childbirth like a sort of spiritual connection i know i've shared this before but with childbirth i have a friend that 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 gave me a was it was brilliant she said every 15 year old girl should have seen someone die and be born and she talked about women because of course yeah, they're the ones children. <laughs> it so it's like every so human being. Should. It is, but I, I think for her, she said women women are are, are intimidated by childbirth because they've never seen it. Oh. You know, and for a while, men just don't see childbirth, and and I guess we all we've all kind of said that's okay. But um, you know, there's something about uh, you know it, it, the beauty of having a child, the joy, yeah. but it comes through pain. I mean, that that's biblical. So there's yeah. something about saying why hide the pain and only see the good. Like, like with death, right? We we the person dies in the hospital, they put a curtain around them, then all of a sudden you see them with embalming fluid and makeup, and they look better than they were when they were alive. Like there's a we're hiding away the negative parts like slaughtering animals and i think there's something authentic to say if if you're a meat eater i mean if 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 you're eating meat it's probably good and healthy and natural to see what happens how you can have this meat to eat yeah but and even just to think of it on a bigger scale like the way that my body gets energy and builds muscle comes from the life of another thing yeah yeah it is interesting because the Which Eastern... Which is how we're made. So that's not just like right. meat eaters, but we're taking yeah. the life of plants or right. nuts or whatever. Anything. Whatever you're eating, you have to draw mm. from and benefit from the other living things in the world. That's just what a human is. And I'm wondering if this is a, this is a, a rule in the old Eastern canons because it is kind of an Eastern Christian ideal to be vegetarian. Like... The, the monastic ideal is to never eat meat and never have dairy. Oh, now, now really? generally, nowadays, we just say you do that during the great fast. But if you go to a monastery, some of the most authentic ones, they never eat meat or dairy. I mean, even I on- have heard of eschatological vegetarianism or something, <laughs> something like that. It's like with this conviction that in the garden in paradise, yeah. they were not eating animals. All yeah. of these trees we have made for you. Yep. That, that, that's, a, an, that's an aspect of our Eastern Christian tree. All the fathers talk about yeah. that. Yeah. And then in the end, which is like a renewal of paradise, there will be no need to yeah. eat meat. But it's I, not I just kind of, I get, I get nervous, like allowing these often judgy people <laughs> to sort of use this, you know, for fuel <laughs> to say, yeah. Oh, look at your eating meat or whatever. Because I do think there is something beautiful about communing with nature and 
um, like say for example with these sacrifices what I'm talking about is poor people so they don't have meat every day right they're not going to McDonald's whatever right. they are raising this goat yeah which might take a lot of their livelihood take their food you know be part of the family they're waiting for this festival to come around yeah. and to honor the gods with the sacrifice of that yeah. goat and to it, celebrate, to draw their family into this celebration by this one time a year where they get to eat meat and it's very festive and it's religiously yeah. you know, oriented. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to one of my directees today about like how to incorporate a monastic prayer ideal into a modern secular life. And he works a nine to five. So it's like, you know, the in the early church, matins and vespers was set around the sunlight. So if it was light outside, you were working. So you prayed matins before it got light, and you oh. finished matins as the light was coming up. You started vespers right when the sun started to set. So it was really based around your work day, and you would you would pray to God at the transitions. Now, of course, with electricity, we don't have those same transitions. So mm. we were trying to figure out for him a way of saying, what are your natural transitions? Usually work. Before you go to work, when you get home. Eating, grace before meals yeah. is a transition. And then also like waking up and going to bed. So, you know, it, trying, trying to find for him these transitions that worked. Um, and I, I think we've, you know, we, 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 we've, we kind of control transitions now much more than we should. Um, so trying to find I like that, that though. Just these particular moments in the day where you yeah. say something, I can pray about what has happened and then what's going to happen. Yeah. And I can ask the Lord to bless the efforts that I've made and, or the failures, whatever ha- whatever's happened. Yeah. And then I can kind of reset with God as I move forward. Yeah. I like that. We, you know, we do the Angelus. Yep. And six that's at six. Yeah, set times during the day. Now, I'm not absolutely great at this, but I do like it as a discipline. And part of that is like just to interrupt your life at a set time yep. and remember God, you know, yeah. remember I, I the think... incarnation. That prayer is particularly about the incarnation. Um, You pray. Angelus, yeah. Yeah. You, you pray the words of Mary at the Annunciation and then recognize that God became a human being and dwelt with us for our salvation. Um, so that's really the heart of the prayer is that this is like incarn- incarnational. Yeah. And my, my directee actually had an important, like when he was trying to say, he was kind of actually frustrated by the fact that there aren't accessible communities to lay people that, that will together pray at these transitions. Like he, he was in, in all, which I thought was good. He would say like, um, why, why don't we have urban monasticism? Why don't we have a monastery in the middle of the city so that those who work a nine to five, um, can go there and literally they are praying is when the sun's coming up, it doesn't matter if it's summer or winter. They adapt to when the sun comes up. Um, but they will, if they could if they could have a monastery in the city so working people could go, and they would go and pray before the sun came up, go to work. As the sun's going down, probably, you know, single people. But anyway, then they could be praying as the sun's going down. And he was kind of, he's a single at this point, so he, he was kind of regretting the fact that there isn't an urban monasticism where you can actually do this. And he, because he said, the prayer, prayer should guide 
and form our life, not our life forming and guiding our prayer. Yeah. And I was like, I get that, but it's also, I think that even prayer itself, it, 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 we put the prayer at these certain times because of life. Like, it wasn't the prayer formed our lifestyle, but rather our lifestyle formed when and how we pray. Because if you read Byzantine Vespers and Compline are beautiful, because it's all about, I know what's coming. I'm, I'm going to fall asleep. As I'm falling asleep, my body's getting weaker. As my body's getting weaker, my spirit's getting weaker. Mm. I know that I'm going to have much more like self-deprecating thoughts. I'm going to be mad at myself and my family, my friends. When my spirit starts getting weaker, as I start falling asleep, I'm going to have more lustful thoughts because my spirit's getting weaker, my body's getting weaker. Um, all these things are happening. So all the prayers at Vespers and especially at Compline and are all about this is this is a time of battle. I'm about to go into a oh, fighting mode. So so protect me, guide me, empower me. You're calling upon our Lord, the Mother of God, to to say, I know what happens at night, and I don't like it generally. It's it's not the I'm not at my best as I'm falling asleep. Hmm. And so the, it actually those prayers are for that time, knowing that's happening. So it's like so that really is kind of real life guiding what we pray for. Yeah. Well, we have a, a requirement in the in the Roman rite that all the priests and the consecrated people, nuns, brothers, consecrated lay people too, I think, are asked to make a promise to pray the liturgy of the hours. Mm. That means five times throughout the day, you're praying set prayers, mostly psalms, and then some prayers from the uh, from the gospels. Mm. And our uh, the the purpose is like that. It's it's to take the monastery, the the method of monastic life, yeah. and then to bring it to everybody else. And since the Second Vatican Council, every, every lay person has been encouraged to pray the liturgy, the hours as well. But it's it's actually rather involved. It's hard to do, and um, I've seen it just can be difficult for lay people to. Yeah. Pray, but the, some people will pray one of the hours, or you know, night prayer, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. With Compline, in our tradition, there's less of like invoking God's protection. A lot of it for us is reflecting on death. Mm-hmm. So you have psalms that relate to death or the coming darkness, and we see sleep as a little death. Mm-hmm. It's like practice. You're surrendering your life to God. You're giving up giving up the worries and the burdens of the day and all your concerns. You're trusting God with all that stuff yeah. before you shut your eyes. Well, what's the antiphon? O Lord, aggress me a restful night and a peaceful death. Yeah. Isn't that every, every night prayer? Yeah. When I was in college, I used to pray that. The other, and, they, yet, and, and there is a little bit about recognizing the kind of the dangers of the night. Um, we do pray, protect us, Lord, as we stay awake. Watch mm-hmm. over us as we sleep. You know? Yeah. So I'm totally in about finding that prayer routine and yeah. maybe tapping a little more into the traditions that we do have right. and that are available rather than every, you know, every Catholic has got to figure out their own yeah. rule of life. That's true. But there are some things that are just like out there and available. Yeah. yeah. Another and thing now, I love about beautiful... Here's another recommendation okay. for your church. Uh-oh. Daily Mass. 
What about daily mass? That's daily, part of that. Daily mass is such a new it's a, thing. It's a way to center the your the rhythm of your life around yeah. the Eucharist. No, I, I would actually love a daily Eucharist, but it doesn't make much... I mean, in our tradition, you celebrate the Eucharist on the day, since the Eucharist is a celebration and a participation in Christ's death and resurrection, especially his resurrection. So you celebrate it on days where you commemorate the resurrection, which is, of course, Sunday or yeah. feast days. So, But in monasteries, they do have daily Eucharist. Oh, do they? But you, I but didn't know that. Because every day there's a saint, so it's technically a feast every day. Oh, it's feast, But yeah. it doesn't make much sense to have the Eucharist in the East without Vespers and Matins. So that's the problem oh. is, is that, hmm. so like, if you go to one of our Divine Liturgies, we have no Old, no old Testament readings, because the Old Testament's done at Vespers, and then Matins is pretty much the entire story of the saint. And so like, if you just do a Divine Liturgy, you're, you're, you're lacking any information about the saint, and, and you have not like, like consecrated or, or sanctified the day through Vespers at sundown, Matins at sunup, then Divine Liturgy oh. at, the, at that time of the day. So, I mean, and, and to do all that is a lot of work. Right. And it's now like, it, it fits in a monastery, but it's hard to right. do in a parish. We, we do it in my parish now. Do you? It's only because we, I, I kind of follow the American model. So people want Divine Liturgy on Sunday, of course, and they usually want it one other time a week. So I will do... Um, at my parish, 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and noon on Fridays for Divine Liturgy, and then, of course, on Sunday. But we do not have a Divine Liturgy without doing Vespers and Matins in preparation for And it. you do Vespers outside of Divine Liturgy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Vespers is evening prayer. Yeah. Matins is morning prayer. Yeah. Those are just Latin words for yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, these traditions go back, like, sanctifying the day cooperating yeah. as the church with the time of the day and the seasons and yeah. it's part of the the call to pray always you know right um and that so there's something of like every every community is connected to a greater reality that is the body of Christ and they're spending their half hour or 20 minutes praying these vespers right. and somewhere across the world there's another community that's doing it. And it's almost like if you imagine probably the reality, I'd love to see some like statistics on this, that um, the body of Christ is praying all the time, yeah. every moment yeah. of every day in some church somewhere. Well, that's Isn't the that beauty cool? of actually doing it with sunrise and sunset. Because if you, if you could imagine like watching from outer space, watching, it's always the sun's rising somewhere in the world and setting somewhere in the world. Oh, yeah. And if every monastery is actually starting, is praying while the sun's coming up and praying while the sun's going down. So in, in our Byzantine Matins and Vespers, you actually have the part of the Matins or Vespers where the sun is either coming up at that moment or going down at that moment. And that's the transition of the day. So the monks have to calculate it. And yeah. so they, they, they don't have a, like, Vespers doesn't start at 4.30. Vespers starts when you hear a monk walking around banging on a stick, and it's like, there's just these sounds that they, or bells, and then all the monks leave whatever they're doing and go to pray at the chapel, and Why it changes every some, single day. some roosters? You well, the, the roosters, you have to, I don't know if you can you squeeze a rooster and make it scream. So, but no, that, so, I mean, the rooster sings when the sun's coming up, It's right? cockcrow, so that's actually, so matins... Matins is supposed to be going on while the rooster's crowing. 
Uh. But but the, the, they call it cockroach. So that's actually when when um, when matins used to start, like in a monastery, you you would start when the rooster crowed. I mean, and that's that's exactly what they would do. But that's like that's like two in the morning. I was just at the Greek Whoa. Orthodox monastery in uh, Florence, Arizona. This beautiful monastery. They're not a big fan of Catholics, but um, when you go there and and um, they have matin starts at one thirty in the morning, and it goes Whoa. for like four hours. They're in prayer with with matins then first hour. For like four hours every morning, Woo. and they're, so they're in church while the sun's coming up, and that's the point. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I didn't present a topic like, okay, you know, let's get into a topic. <laughs> We're almost this, getting close to an I hour. Think, <laughs> I know. Probably. I think we. I think we can relate this quickly. Okay. To do. something I've been reflecting on and had thought about, you know, talking about, nice. which is our voice and our life participating in a greater reality, becoming aware of the greater reality and not being so focused on our own individuality and kind of isolated in our, our Christian life, our Christian adventure, you know. So what, what kind of prompted this question was that I, I ran across an article about the Christian cosmology of C.S. Lewis, that's written by um, Stratford Caldicott. Do you know him at all? No. So he, he did a lot of writing. He was at Oxford, um, only died fairly recently. Is that the award, the Caldicott Award? Yeah. Is that named after him? Yeah, okay. yeah. So he, he did a lot of work in like, classical education and mm-hmm. just the question of how do we restore or safeguard wonder mm-hmm. in modern, the modern world, nice. you know, contemporary society. And he thought, he thought liturgy had a lot to do with that. He thought religion was very important in that, um, that kind of with that question mm-hmm. of how do you en- engage somebody's imagination and, and keep wonder alive. Um, also, books and uh, liberal arts education. It was just like reading a lot of stuff, being exposed to poetry and geometry and the stars and you know animals, everything that is. Um, kind of stirs up the questions in the human soul, you know? Okay, so he writes this article about C.S. Lewis and the way that he looked at the world. And uh, I, I recommend it. It's on some blogs. Um, I'm not sure where he published it originally, but it's a short essay. Um, but it, what it made me think about was how there was once a time, and we call it the ancient world, okay, where... People looked around and they saw energies and spiritual beings everywhere they looked. Mm-hmm. You know, that tree has its spirit, and there are gods of the clouds, and there are gods of the sea, and there are gods that are motivating um, passion and love, and there's other gods who are uh, gods of war. And so the whole world, the way they they looked at the world, that worldview is sort of interacting with these spiritual forces all the time. And for the most part, trying to keep them from destroying your life Hmm. or taking advantage of you because the gods are more powerful than we are. And they're just going to use us for their kind of Hmm. games, you know, and they were really fickle and they're doing their own, they have their own program and their own war and it's like you could get sucked in to being a pawn in one of the games of the gods. Right. So you've got to pick a god, you've got to protect yourself by being de- devoted to them, and then yeah. they might protect you. 
Okay. You know. Offer but lots of sacrifices to get a lot way. of yeah. yeah. Offer sacrifices, be devout. Yeah. The you know light candles, say your prayers, all these yeah. things. But a lot of this kind of magical religion was about controlling the gods, hmm. or doing what you can to control the gods, because you can a little bit kind of get get them on your side, right? right. And then they'll help you against the other ones who are chaotic or something. And then you you're sort of picking a team. You know, like, this fits my personality. I really like this kind of style. Okay. Eventually, you have a sort of purification of that system with monotheism. Mm. You know, this religion came along that just made more sense, which is that there is one God who is above all of these other realities. There's still, like, a, like a lot of spiritual stuff going on, Right. There's like energies to things. There's like, um, you know, mysteries in the world. But really, that's not about all these human-like gods battling it out and playing with their whims and like messing with people and stuff. Right. But yeah, so you have a development of a worldview that became predominant in the Middle Ages, hmm. where. There's a hierarchy of spirits and of beings that are all related, but they're subordinated under the Godhead. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one God, and then you have all of this hierarchy of things. So in the Middle Ages, they, they thought of the world as kind of this fallen center of the earth as this fallen center of a universe where you can look up into the sky or you can look out and see the harmony of God's creation and the beauty of and the perfection. The stars always travel in the same kind of um, pattern mm-hmm. and they shine in the right way and the sun comes up at the right time and goes down. Everything is so harmonious and then we have this kind of swamp of <laughs> human error and problems and all these things. Um, but it's being redeemed, you know? It's God is helping us, yeah. and God has deigned to help us. But they really saw a lot of connection with the, the spiritual realm, mm. and God assisting with the help of assisting human beings with the help of the stars and with the help of the water and the help of the um, your neighbor and the animals and everything. Everything was kind of united under the um, the direction of God. And his thought. And it was a beautiful kind of way of looking at the world. Somehow you're related to everything you come in contact with. You know, it's like what we were talking about with the animals that you're eating. You know, somehow this was, this was given to you in order to sustain you or to give you life or health or strength, you know, but um, it's also like cooperating. That animal is cooperating with the will of God in order to yeah. uh, to be helpful, not just to you, but it's living its own life, you know. Okay, so that's the medieval worldview. And then you have this modern a- um, age that comes along that kind of um, reduces everything to materialism. Hmm. You know, everything is just clockwork that's happening in the sky that's uncontrollable by anything. It just does its own thing. And we are this kind of unexplainable 
anomaly that evolved from the sludge, you mm. know? And we're smart, and we can see everything, but we don't know why. Right. There's no meaning. There's no harmony in the universe. It's all just a bunch of crazy, chaotic balls of fire that are smashing into each other. And then luckily we kind of popped out of that, you know? And um, so the way he describes it is with the help of this philosopher, Charles Taylor, who wrote a book, uh, Secular Age, about the alienation of people now where you no longer have any connection with nature and the universe. It no longer speaks to you. It no longer includes you in its own mission because there is no purpose it's all just random stuff going chaotically and then each person has to figure out their own mission and make their life Mm -hmm. that's kind of the goal of life becomes sort of carving out your own meaning and your own place in this meaningless strange world Mm -hmm. where you're cast in and you know you the fact that you're born to these people doesn't really have any sense. The fact that you are poor, you're rich, you're of some sort of race, um, everything about your life is just kind of, kind of falls to you and doesn't have a meaning, but you can make a meaning out of it. But then he's, he mourns the fact that most people don't really figure it out. They yeah. just survive their life or there's a few people who get really le- lucky and they're sort of successful and people yeah. look at them, but there's still no meaning in that. It's like, who are you? Where do you fit? So C.S. Lewis wanted to really kind of invite people back into the wonder of the cosmos, that in spite of this scientific turn that reduces everything to matter, a bunch of atoms that are kind of running into each other and vibrating and bouncing and following rules like a machine, um, that there there is something living about this huge organism that is the universe and that that we're connected to something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big project. That's a hard thing. You know, if there's been like three or four shifts in human history, we're not expecting ourselves to change things tomorrow or something. But the Christian is invited to live as a part of a body, you know, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very intriguing possibility, that we live with this sort of connection that makes sense. We have a story, the history of salvation, the story of God's love and redemption of the world, this mutual gift of the Father offering his son a gift of the universe, mm-hmm. the creation. And then the son redeeming that fallen creation and giving it back to the father. That we fit into this Trinitarian story and we also relate to each other and to the world as the body of Christ. Um, We have a place. We have a meaning. And I think that offers something different. You know, there's just something more powerful and more organic and connected that I think we really have to sort of reflect on and appeal to. Well, we, we Christians, and really, I mean, I guess anybody of faith or that has religion that sees the metaphysical, something beyond, something invisible, uh, we, we Christians, I'll just focus on us, we have a beginning from nothing. 
we we have a renewed beginning in Christ, you know, the the the, the new creation, and we have an end that is that is death and union with God, heaven, hell, or is um, the second coming of Christ. So there's, and, and because of having a beginning and an end as Christians, we're, we're on a pilgrimage. Like we have an actual goal that we're moving towards. And I think that's what provides the meaning. And when you have people that have lost all sense of meaning, it's like, you know, some of the, the nihilists, you know, Sartre, and, you know, it's like, you know, these guys, they no wonder they were suicidal. You know, they, if I remove meaning, if I remove beginning and end, if I remove goal-oriented pilgrimage, it's like the moment I get sick or the moment I lose power or control, it's like the world, this world is just to be avoided. It's to be escaped. You know, it's not something to participate in for a greater goal. I mean, I think that's why, you know, we're called the opiate of the masses. You know, religion is because the people that are just pure realists, that are they're, they're purely sensory, the only things that exist are perceivable by our five senses. If that's what they say, that seems authentic, but it's deadly. I mean, if, if yeah. you leave any of the higher realities out of this, why live at all? This world is just to be escaped. But if you believe in an all-loving God who created it out of love, so when you see something beautiful, it's not just saying, oh, look, something beautiful, but it's actually a gift from an all-knowing, all-loving being to me, and I can receive that gift, and that can make my life happier, and then I can use that gift to move closer to the ultimate beautiful thing, which is God and Jesus Christ, mm. and like... That that is the definition of hope, and if you don't have hope, despair comes very very quickly. I would imagine. I think part of my appeal is to see the circumstances of life as providential, mm-hmm. and like I don't I don't want to reduce it to a game, but I feel like the analogy of a game is helpful for me. Okay, it's like God has set up this great adventure for your life and every person that comes into your life is somehow related to that kind of like story that the game that adventure and there's a challenge with every circumstance if i get sick if i feel healthy if i um get angry with someone if i'm really stoked about something if i like a pot pie you know, every right. little thing somehow relates to this adventure. It's a kind of challenge to love, to be saintly today, to um, go out of myself, yeah. you know, and to look at so- somebody else. And I, I want to contrast that to what I think is a very modern project, but it's very tempting to Christianize and then... T- to get very confused about God hmm. and about the world, which is, you're meant to be happy. Your life is about your personal happiness. Right. You figure it out and make all the chips fall together. That's what God wants. Yeah. That's what the saints want for you. That's how you're actually being a good person. Yep. If you figure out your happiness. Yeah. And I just think that's like not it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Even so much about spiritual, and I, we need to stop soon. <laughs> I'm not going to talk too long, but even most of spirituality is just trying to feel good. Like, even yeah. if it's just trying to feel loved, it's like we, the fact that we are loved is a reality. 
It doesn't matter if we feel it or not. It's better if we do because it's real. We want to feel what's truthful. But there's, there's something about the labor of the spiritual life, the asceticism, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. And it's like, and I know you can't live that intentional ascetical life until you feel loved. So, yeah. like, feeling love. That's right. It's like the, the awareness of God's love can really help you yep. to say, okay, fine. I don't have to worry about that all the time. Right. I know it. Yep. Fine. Now I can spend my time and energy worrying about how to love other people. Yeah. And yep. not just like, oh, am, you know, right. am I getting by? Do, does God love me? Do people yeah. love me? Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, and for some reason in our modern society, so many people are need just deny in their heart that they are loved by God and others. And that is a huge problem that the church has because we're not doing a very good job of letting people know just at the most basic level they are beloved of God and what a peaceful, restful place mm. that can be once we know that. And then you can start doing the real work of accepting the grace of God every minute and purging ourselves through God's grace of sin and illuminating ourselves through God's grace of illumination and working with him. Like the whole idea of like husbands and wife, like it's not 50-50, it's 100-100, right? You hear that, we do that in marriage mm-hmm. prep. Yeah. Each person gives 100% and is involved 100% in the growth of the marriage. Marriage, everything we get about marriage comes from Christ. So God is working 100% and I'm working 100%. And that's how we become holy, is we both give 100% and we work together in that way. And that's, I think, where the church is has not done a very good job of of getting people to even say that God wants to give a hundred percent, and until they realize God wants, they realize God wants to give a hundred percent, they're not going to feel called or even able to give a hundred percent themselves. So I just kind of went back on my I think whole we theory. Do, but, I think we do a good job with that. I think we do proclaim the message well, yeah. and that's kind of the, the regular part of, especially the the clergy. You know, teaching, um, sanctifying people yeah. is sort of the sales, you know, convincing you right. of the love of God. Right. But I think we do that, but our fallen tendency is just not to believe it. I shouldn't be loved like that. I can't yeah. be loved like that. Um, I don't trust God. And, and then just like the, the whole sense of um, temptation. Like there's, there's actually other voices out there yeah. that are going to tell you in your head and make you think that it's you thinking this thought, yeah. I shouldn't be loved like that. I'm not yeah. loved like Satan that. Satan exists know? and hates so us. So yeah. a lot of the art is like suppressing those, ignoring those temp- tempting thoughts. Right. And, and then also just like addressing your own fallenness. I mean, I haven't figured this out perfectly. Right. <laughs> but I also think we spend a whole lot of time trying to figure this part out instead of moving on and just loving people and right. being a part of seeing our life as a part of this greater whole. That's yeah. like a really important part. You know, like even if we're one blood cell in the body of Christ, right. that's, you know, where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And that's how we play our part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh. We, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, we do. You keep looking at the... I am. Yeah, I'm just making sure. I don't know when it ends. <laughs> I'm looking at the computer <laughs> to make sure long. we're still going. All right. I don't have any shout outs. Okay. But I do have 
book recommendations. Okay. Oh, nice. And Do it. Thank yous. Um, so some of my friends have written books recently, and I wanted to kind of plug them cool. and um, thank them for all that work and love that goes into that. My friend, Father Thomas Esposito, wrote a book called The Roots That Clutch, Letters on the Origins of Things. Now, this is a Cistercian monk down in Texas, and he's brilliant, and it's really fun, and he's really creative. But he, he's got this book where he wrote letters to all kinds of people. I think you talked about this in another podcast. Is it Did the I? same book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think you even read some... one of them, yeah. Oh, I don't think I read them. No? Okay. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, there's there's letters to Taylor Swift, Heraclitus, Martin Luther King Jr., nice. um, St. Barnabas, Dr. Seuss. So nice. it's all this kind of stuff. Right. You get... I. Here's one of those things where you get a guy who's fascinated by things yeah. who helps to teach us, I learn, how to wonder again hmm. by engaging with these yeah. uh, other people from the past who are still around, who are fictional, all these things. It's cool. All right. Uh, another one, uh, Curtis Martin, a friend of ours yep. and a friend of the show, good Colorado guy who started Focus just published I think just published I got it in the mail today Making Missionary Disciples How to Live the Method Modeled by the Master hmm. he talks about three habits of evan- uh, what missionary disciples okay. that is they're aware of they and have a, a, a profound sense of divine intimacy like we were just talking mm-hmm. about right they um, pay attention to authentic friendship hmm. and try to live that way and then they uh, have a sense of uh, spiritual multiplication. That if I invest very carefully in one, two, three people, and they invest in other people, then the church grows deep and strong and exponentially. And then he goes through the three, um, or the method of focus, which is win, build, send for evangelization. Okay. So if you want to learn about that stuff, that's it. My friend, Father G.T. Elliott, just um, published a book, Discernment. Do's and Don'ts, A Practical Guide to Vocational Discernment. Huh. Amen. So if you're trying to figure out life and you're moving forward, yeah. uh, you have a great little resource here in uh, GT's work. He's a, he's a Thomist, so he puts in some good theology in there. And then he just has a, he was a vocations director. He's got mm-hmm. a real strong sense of like how to help people. So it's nice. a practical guide. Finally, um, Dr. Anthony Lillis. Yep. You remember nice. Dr. Oh, yeah. Anthony Lillis. He has moved out to California. That's home for him, but it's sad for us. Right. Um, but he, he writes about the spiritual masters, and he's got a book called Fire from Above, Christian Contemplation and Mystical Wisdom. Uh, he focuses on some imagery, like the fire of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and the garden of the soul, where we uh, reside as Christians, in, especially in prayer. And then he talks about particular saints like Therese of Lisieux and Elizabeth of the Trinity that are some of his favorites. But he's a deep man of prayer, real wise. That's my shout-out. Cool. Uh, I just have two quick ones. Emily Brand was possibly going to be an audience of one this evening. Uh, She lives up in Seattle, just got a job at Alaska Airlines as a pilot, which is her dream job. congratulations. She was in the Air Force for years. 
Um, and anyway, I'll hang out with her tomorrow. She's in town for a couple of days before I leave town. And then also um, Jonathan Dean, who is, I know, listens every once in a while, if not every week, a good friend of mine. He will be ordained a subdeacon, all the minor orders of the Byzantine Church, I believe, this coming Sunday, Ooh, November congratulations. 11th. So by the time this comes out, by the way, this comes out on Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Um, this is going to yeah. come out on Thanksgiving. Um, happy Put on Thanksgiving. your pilgrim hat. <laughs> exactly. Eat yourself a turkey. Don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> right. It, it's a feast day, American feast day. But anyway, he should be a, a subdeacon by the time this comes out. So uh, I w- I've been his vocations director for his whole his whole time. Oh, so I'm very great. proud of this guy. Well, congratulations um, to yeah. you, too. And then hopefully on the diaconate soon after. So Yeah. yeah. Is he related to our Garrett Dean? Uh, and I don't think so. I think, how, how does Garrett Dean spell his last name? D-E-A-N? Or yeah. is there an E? No, Dean has an E. This Dean has oh, an E. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right on. Anyway, thank you all. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to email us, check us out on like every social media there is, except the bad ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pray for us. We pray for you. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless you. Yeah. Bye.